people, <laughs> real living people, uh, strange-looking, mask-wearing people, but people nonetheless. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, and if the camera pointed both ways, we'd say to you, real living people, not wearing masks, probably wearing pajamas, but uh, welcome, and uh, we're so glad that you've joined us for the past six months Those of you who have been following MCBC, you know that we have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the best known teaching of Jesus uh, for two two millennia now has been capturing the hearts, the imaginations of people worldwide. And over the past three weeks, we've been looking particularly at a section of the sermon that deals with how we relate to other people. Do not judge. You might remember those powerful words from a few weeks back. The spirit of condemnation that easily uh, overtakes us. And we talked about how the danger, not just of judgment, but of actually prejudging groups of people based on the criteria that we as human beings arbitrarily decide on and cut up the world with race and gender and nationality and culture to prejudge. Well, you know the word that we get from that is prejudice. Thou shalt not judge. And then two weeks ago, we we looked at that interesting metaphor about removing the plank from your own eye before you labor too intensely about trying to get the speck out of the eye of another. Last week, we looked at Jesus' teaching on being patient, on not trying to push and force our ideas, our opinions on other people. The interesting title of that part of the message was The Pig and the Pearl. And if you want to catch up on that, you'll find that in all the other messages available on YouTube. All relationships require effort, do they not? All human relationships, whether it's marriage or parenthood or friendship. In fact, even relationships with pets take effort. I was thinking about this a little bit uh, over the past week. Uh, We know it firsthand. Our family adopted a rescue dog, a a, a tremendous-looking but nervous little beagle. He's odd. He's needy. He's nervous. He's wonderful. Do you know people like that? Odd and needy and nervous and wonderful. This week, Jesus is going to pivot his focus, and we're going to shift conversation. We're still in the realm of relationship, but shifting conversation from our relationship with other people to our relationship with God himself, with our Heavenly Father. One of the primary ways that we interact with God is through prayer. And so this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about prayer. According to most polls, people will pray this week more often than they will exercise or drive a car or or go to work. And that may sound like not much because who among us is driving a car and going to work or exercising. The quarantine 15, as it turns out, might be a real thing, and we're, we're struggling with it. But 9 out of 10 people still say that they pray regularly. 3 out of 4 people, if you ask them, say that they pray every day. If you were to Google the word prayer, in fact, you can do it right where you're sitting right now, you'll get over 100 million links in a second. But if you were to ask the average person about prayer, they'll say, yes, it's important, 
They'll say, yes, they pray often, but they'll say, you know, it's not often very satisfying. And rarely do they experience the presence of God when they pray. As important as people say it is, too often they say prayer is more of a burden than a delight. And if that describes you or at any point in your journey that's felt like it's true of you, I want you to know that you're not alone. That, uh, that people in the church struggle with this. That the followers of Jesus struggle with this. In fact, I want you to listen for a minute to this prayer from a person who struggles with chronic worry. Here's the prayer. Dear God, help me to relax about the insignificant details. Beginning tomorrow at 7.41 a.m., 23 seconds past the minute, Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> and dear God, Help me to consider other people's feelings, even if most of them are hypersensitive. Dear God, help me take responsibility for the consequences of my actions, even though they're not usually my fault. Dear God, help me try not to run everything, but if you need some help, please feel free to ask me. I'm available. Dear God, help me to be more laid back and help me to do that exactly right. Dear God, give me patience. Give it to me right now. Dear God, help me not to be a perfectionist. Did I spell that right? Dear God, help me to finish everything. I Dear God, help me to keep one thing on my mind. Hey, what is that? Dear God, would you help me do only what I can and trust you for the rest? And would you mind putting that in writing? Dear God, help me to be open to other people's ideas, even though they're probably misguided. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Prayer is one of the primary ways that we connect with God, isn't it? And yet many people find it frustrating. They find it hard to do. You look at the headlines and it's easy to doubt that prayer is making any difference in the world at all, especially in the middle of things like global pandemic and systemic racism and mass violence. And even if it seems that prayer does make a difference, answered prayers, don't they feel kind of difficult to prove with any certainty? C.S. Lewis wrote a charming novel years ago, The Screwtape Letters, a conversation between a senior devil giving advice to his young recruit about how to tempt the followers of Christ, the people of God. And this is what he says, speaking of a follower of Jesus, he says, but you can worry him. You can worry him with the haunting suspicion that the practice of prayer is absurd, that it has no result. And don't forget to use the heads-I-win-tails-you-lose argument because of the things that he prays for don't happen, that that's one more proof that prayer doesn't work. And if it does happen, he will, of course, be able to find some other causes. You'll be able to see some physical causes which led up to it and conclude, therefore, it would have happened anyway. And thus, a granted prayer becomes just as good a proof as a denied one, that prayers are ineffective. For many people, one of the biggest challenges to leading a fulfilling life of prayer is busyness. And a lot of people, in spite of the fact that we're living through days of of isolation and quarantine, are starting to identify with the reality that they don't feel any less busy than they used to. They're just busy 
in different ways. Meaningful prayer requires time and lots of it. Meaningful prayer requires time. And how do you fit that in between family and friends and parents and and grocery runs to no frills and food basics and Costco? There's a famous British preacher, a man named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he once said. He said, of all the activities in which the Christ follower engages and which are part of the Christian life, There surely are none which cause so much perplexity and raise so many problems as the activity that we call prayer. I wonder maybe if that's why in the Gospels, in in Luke chapter 11, in one of the places, that the disciples were quite intentional about asking Jesus, saying, Lord, teach us to pray. In fact, if you read the Gospels closely, you'll know that this is the only recorded request that they ever make of Jesus to teach them anything about ministry whatsoever. I mean, isn't that interesting? If you were following Jesus around all the time and you wanted to learn to do some of the things that he did, I'm not sure that that's what I would ask him to teach me because he did some incredible things. An amazing communicator. This incredible teacher. And so I'd ask him, Jesus, will you teach me to teach the way that you teach? You remember he fed thousands of people with just a couple of paltry loaves and some fish. Pretty useful skill to learn, right? We could address hunger and famine with that skill. Jesus, would you teach me how to feed the masses? And he walked on water. I'm not sure how that would help others, but that's a really cool thing. I mean, Jesus, could you teach me that? He healed people. He raised people from the dead. Wouldn't you like him to teach you how to do that? Perform miracles and heal the hurting and and save lives? But that's not what they asked him. The only recorded request for ministry abilities that we have from the disciples in any of the Gospels is them asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. And maybe that had something to do with the kind of person that Jesus was. The most radically loving person that had ever lived. He was able to to live this out, this kind of, uh, of life of acceptance and dependency and vibrancy, to, to be this kind of person. And he did it through having regular rhythms of Frantic activity, but then also equally passionate prayer and quietness. In the middle of this teaching, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about how to relate to other people well, how to love well, how to show up as your very best self in all of these relationships, Jesus stops again and tells them how to pray. How is it that you go to your Heavenly Father and pray? And here's the key thing, and then we'll, we'll get to the teaching itself. The main purpose of prayer, the main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier. And it's not to get God to do what you want Him to do. But it's simply to know Him. To have a relationship with Him in the process, maybe become a little bit more 
like Him. Why do we pray? Not because it changes God. Not because we're desperate and we'll give up on God if He doesn't change the world. But because prayer changes us. As any good relationship should. Jesus compares our relationship to God as the relationship between a child and a parent. Many of you can understand that. Some of you understand it firsthand. Some of you understand it right now. As we look at kids and parents sitting together. This is what Jesus said. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son were to ask for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, Jesus, he just comes right out and says it, doesn't he? Ask, seek, knock. And what's surprising about the statement here is just how wide open it is. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. Notice he doesn't qualify the statement. Who can make the ask? Anyone. For what can they ask? He doesn't say. He just says, ask, and it will be given to you. And the thing that comes to mind when I read it is how much I want to qualify it. Well, you probably have to ask for the right things. You probably have to ask with the right heart. You probably have to have the right relationship with God. I mean, my first inclination is to qualify the statement in all kinds of ways. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. All he says is, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And to illustrate it, He tells a story about a child. A child who asks a parent for a piece of bread and and a piece of fish. This is just a general observation, isn't it? Parents want to provide for their kids. They want to give their kids what they need to grow and grow well. They want them to thrive in the world. This isn't usually a burden. Usually it's a joy. It's something parents we love to do for our kids. But still, I mean, if you're honest... For the most part, the relationship between a parent and a child is one way. At least it is early in life. The parent does most of the work. You do the bedtime reading. You buy the groceries. You make the meals. You set up the clothes. You nurse the cuts and the fevers. You pay the bills. The child receives. The child takes it all in. Yeah, the child hugs. Sometimes she cries. That's, that's just how it works. Jesus depicts God as our heavenly Father, as someone who is eager to give and to meet our needs. He is our heavenly Father. He is our provider. We are his children, which means we are to ask and seek and receive. Now listen, at face value, this all sounds really simple. But if we're going to be absolutely honest, doesn't it also sound a little bit naive? I mean, going to prayer, that sounds good. 
It's what most of us have been taught to do, but our experience, our day-to-day, year-to-year, decade-after-decade experience is probably just a little bit more complicated than that. Let me give you some examples. Here's a bunch of experiences that maybe challenge that simple understanding of prayer. See if you resonate with any of these. Here's the first one. If God already knows what I need, why do I need to ask? I mean, Jesus out and says it in Matthew chapter 6. You remember this teaching from weeks back. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if God knows what I need, and if he has unlimited power, then, then why do I need to pray? Prayer might just be a waste of time. God's omniscient. He knows all things. What's the point in asking? Here's another concern. Isn't it hard to pray when when we see plenty of people around us who have everything they need and more without ever praying for it? And the Bible seems to teach that you don't have because you don't ask, and yet other people seem to have everything, and they're not asking. They get what they need. Maybe they work for it, but they haven't prayed for it. And so we drive home after church, and we pass people living in these incredible houses. How did they get them? Maybe by asking God, but often not. A mother gives birth to her child and credits medical skill, not prayer. A family balances their budget. How is it they achieved it? It's through the salary of hardworking parents, not by prayer. Now, doesn't it prove that, that prayer just doesn't make much of a difference? Remember that little teaching from a few weeks ago that God loves to give gifts to his people, whether they pray or not? whether they believe in him or not. I mean, he gives everyone the great gifts, life and breath, sun and rain. That, that scripture, that passage from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, the sun rises on those who are good and on those who are wicked. None of those things are dependent on whether people acknowledge God or pray. Here's a third barrier. And it might be the biggest one of all. The challenge of unanswered prayer. Lord, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing happened. As a pastor, I have prayed for thousands of people. This year alone, I've prayed passionately and faithfully for people, beautiful people, close friends, gentle, loving servants, faithful followers of Jesus and after many, in many cases, after a long struggle with illness, they succumbed and they died of the disease with which they'd been diagnosed. And we prayed. When unanswered prayers like that begin to stack up one on top of another, it's easy to stop believing that there's anyone up there paying attention and conclude that prayers aren't making a difference. And we start to think, well, then prayer is unnecessary. Because if God gives to people who don't ask and he doesn't give to the people who are asking, then what's the point? It's the problem of unanswered prayer. Let me address it just with a couple of thoughts. And I don't claim that these are comprehensive, but here's the first to note. That God's promises, his promises are not unconditional. But his love is. That God is not only good, he is wise. 
And he knows the difference between what is good and what is not. And here's a place where the analogy of parenting helps, even though it still falls short of describing just the mystery of God. But a good parent, this was Jesus' example, a good parent wouldn't give their child a stone or a snake, even if that's exactly what they were asking. A truly loving, wise parent wouldn't give it to them. A loving and wise parent will give not what the child asks for, but what is best for them. To do it any other way as a parent would be irresponsible. There is a reason. There is a reason, and, and this is the part that is so hard to latch on to, especially in seasons of grief. There is a reason why some prayers get answered and some don't. Tim Keller wrote in a beautiful little book on prayer that God will either give us what we ask for or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. Let me say that again, because it bears repeating. That God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we know everything that he knows. I don't claim that that's enough. The response to unanswered prayer is as much pastoral as it is theological. We can have cognitive reasons, but there's no substitute for wrapping your arms around a person in suffering because they feel like their hopes have just been crushed and reminding them that they are not alone, that you are with them, that you are there as a reminder that God is with them. There's one last barrier, one last challenge to prayer. It has something to do with our inability to trust God. And it's, it's really wrapped up in the image of God as Father. Jesus depicts in a way that has few parallels, in fact, no parallels in the ancient world, depicts God as a loving Father, one who is eager to give to those who ask. And that resonates for some people. But for others, it is precisely the reason why they cannot have a close relationship with God who calls himself Father. When I think about my dad, I realize how blessed I am to have him in my life. I, I know that for my brother and my sister and I, he, he is one of the most patient, and wise, and kind, and gentle men that we know. And he was always there providing for us, and he's wanted what's best for us. And if I aspire to anything in raising my own kids, it's, it's to be like my dad. But some of you didn't have that kind of relationship with your father. Maybe you had a father who wasn't loving. Instead of providing for you, he ignored you. Instead of loving you, he despised you. Maybe instead of protecting you, he actually assaulted you. And you see, Jesus knows that can be true of people. So he just comes out and says it. He names it. He says, if you, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The reason why Jesus tells us to pray 
is because prayer is about our relationship with him. Prayer is the language of relationship. It's meant to build connection with the Heavenly Father. Imagine what kind of relationship you would have with somebody if you never talked to them. How would you understand what they're like, who they are, what they believe? Conversation is the primary vehicle we have in relating to other people. It's how we build relationships. The conversations I have with my wife, Karina, every day are what build our relationship. It's what we do more than any other activity as husband and wife. We talk to each other a lot. (laughs) Not enough, as it turns out. But through talking and listening and asking questions, we're better able to understand each other, our needs, our interests, our desires. And then we can respond to all that information and do it in loving, informed ways. The main function of prayer is to be in relationship with God. God has designed the order of things in such a way that loving relationship with Him is facilitated through prayer. Let's try and tie together the threads here. God loves to be asked. He doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need knowledge. He doesn't really even need the information that's conveyed in our prayers. But by inviting us into prayer, He's inviting us into a deeper relationship with Him. And God tells us to ask and to pray Because our relationship with the Father occurs through that kind of interaction, that give and take between Him and us. And God has ordained things in such a way that that empowered in our relationship with Him, not because He needs us, but because He wants us, we can grow. We can grow in His image. And so Jesus, He asks us to pray because He wants a relationship. Not just to hear about what we need, not just to give us what we want, but more importantly, to deepen things. Psalm 46. Psalm 46 starts with these beautiful, memorable words that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. You see, the psalmist is saying that, that God is good and he's good Not because he causes things that seem to feel good to happen in our lives. Not because he always gives us what we want. But because when the storms come in the face of trouble, God is closer to us than any storm ever could be. This is why we can say with some confidence that God is good. It's why we can say that no matter how hard the storm is, no matter how much pain we experience, no matter how difficult the outcome is, and how different it is from what we may have prayed for, that God is good. And in the hardest moments of life, God is close to us and he doesn't change. He doesn't falter. He doesn't quit. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't let go. God is just as good to the parents of obedient children as he is to the parents of children who have rebelled. God is just as good to the couple who can't conceive as he is to families who seem to have as many children as they want. God is just as good to the family who lost their home in a fire as he is to the family who moved into a mansion. He's just as good to the single person as he is to the person who got married and just as good to the person who lost their job as he is to the one who just earned a promotion. Here's the key thought. 
God's goodness. God's goodness is not dependent on any outcome or what we get. God is good because when the storms come, He comes closer to us than the storms ever can. And He holds us. And He doesn't change. And He doesn't falter. And He doesn't quit. And He doesn't leave. And no matter what, He never lets go. He is a good Father. And He wants a relationship with you. In the last hours of His life, Jesus prayed to the Father that the cup of suffering, the inevitability of His own sacrificial death, that these things could pass from Him. Of all the people who ever lived on this earth, wasn't He the one person who deserved to have His prayers answered? And God did answer that prayer, but not the way that Jesus prayed it. Instead, God gave Jesus what we deserve so that we could receive what He had earned. In a sense, God was, or Jesus was the one who got the snake and the stone. And He went to the cross so we could receive the fish and the bread and be invited to sit and eat with God at His table forever. In just a few moments, Our elder, Tim Truman, is going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Before we do that, I want to share with you one of my very favorite prayers from the Bible. I want you to listen not just to what gets asked, but to how it gets asked. And I want you to listen particularly to who it's being addressed to. For this reason, the prayer begins. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray out of all of His glorious riches that He may strengthen you all with power with power through His Holy Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may also have power, together with all God's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, so that you may be filled absolutely to the measure with the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. And God's people said together, Amen.